form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God was highly exalt- has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. before we jump into his word. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for what the birth of Christ represents and what we're about to explore and I pray become intimately familiar with. Lord, I just confess um, there is not a single moment where my heart is right (laughs) in order to preach, God. I'm in desperate need of your grace right now. I confess my weakness, I confess my pride, I confess um, my great need for your spirit to be at work right now. So please, Lord, let your word and your spirit do work. Enable this to be a worshipful experience for all of us, God, as we remember Christ's birth this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You should have received a bulletin this morning, and in that bulletin, there is a handout, um, small little handout, fill in the blank. I wanted you to experience what it's like to be uh, in the youth ministry, because those are the kinds of handouts that I give. So you can follow along and fill in the blank, keep your mind active, but um, recently in a staff meeting, we were discussing the fact that During December, traditionally, churches take the entire month to focus on one aspect of Christ's life on this earth. And that's his birth, obviously. That's one-eleventh of the year. That's actually a lot. A lot of Sundays focused on the birth of Jesus. Now... We were discussing how this is a cultural norm. It's not necessarily a biblical mandate. You know, the Bible, Paul didn't pen the book of Christmas and say, hey, every December, focus on Christmas. He didn't do that. Neither did Peter. It's a tradition that we follow. Now, it doesn't mean it's necessarily evil or sinful. That's not why I'm mentioning this. I'm just trying to highlight, highlight the significance of what we do. We focus on Christ's birth, one-eleventh of the year. And so this led me, as I was preparing for my sermon, to wonder and try to explore why is Christ's birth so important? Why is Christ's birth so important? 
Now, in asking this question, I wasn't trying to discover reasons why we should dedicate one eleventh of our preaching calendar to it. That's not, this is not a defense of December being dedicated to the birth of Christ. That's not what this is. This is merely me wanting to grow in my appreciation for the birth of Christ. And hopefully fostering you a heart that appreciates the birth of Christ as well. And so to do this, I turned to my favorite Christmas passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you're probably thinking, well, why in the world, Pastor Caleb, is that your favorite Christmas text? Why would you even call that a Christmas text? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Thank you for asking that question. So I've probably said this here, that this is my favorite Christmas text or birth of Christ text. You see, Philippians 2 doesn't give us necessarily a narrative perspective like the Gospels do of Christ's birth, but it gives us what I would say is a theological perspective, a doctrinal perspective. This passage is beautiful. It reveals to us the significance of Christ being born into human flesh. And this passage is so beautiful. You don't believe, if you don't take my word for it, you should just know this. When Paul wrote this, he was basically bursting out into song. Because it's a poem. Most commentators agree. This text is a poem. So Paul, listen to this. Paul was so excited to share with the Philippians this reason for their unity. That's what it is, a reason for their unity. He was so excited that he just burst out singing. It's funny, I don't think Paul would have done that in person like I just did. He said he was kind of little when he was in their presence, in the presence of his people. But in in his letters, like Paul expresses himself. He He gets excited as many of you do during December when you know Christmas time, Christmas songs, 106.9, the light's going to start playing my favorite hymns. Woo! Some of you even have battles over this. You can't start singing Christmas hymns until Thanksgiving's over. How many of you are like that? You, you, think it's a, you actually think it's a sin to start singing Christmas hymns before Thanksgiving. Wow, okay. So... Anyway, we we love Christmas. We love Christ's birth. But I'm praying that as we look at this text and we see these uh, three aspects or these three things that I've identified about the importance of Christ's birth, I'm praying that we all will get as excited about uh, about this as Paul does. Like Paul, Paul was so, he had to have been just like jumping for joy thinking about these truths. So I've divided it in three parts, like I said, and all of these, I believe, show the importance of Christ's birth. So let's start with verses 6 through 8. The price of Christ's birth. The price of Christ's birth. Christ's birth is important because of its price tag. What it actually cost Jesus. To summarize, before we jump into the scripture, it it was infinite humility. Like that is what Jesus 
was giving in order to be born. So, verse 6 of chapter 2. Jesus, though... It's just one word. I I have to stop here for a moment because it just struck me. Though. That's a a big word. (laughs) Though. He was in the form of God. The form of God. That word form is very important too. Because we're going to read it again. Essentially. Jesus existed eternally. With the Father and the Spirit in the highest place of authority in existence, period. But though he was in the form of God, did not count or value or consider significant. He didn't count equality, his, his being of the exact same essence... Of the Father and Spirit being God. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That word grasp might confuse you. But what what Paul's saying is that Jesus didn't count the fact that he is over all things. In authority over all things. On the highest throne in existence. He didn't count that as something to be forcefully held on to or attained. Imagine like... Exercising the authority of your position. So Jesus did not view his divine position as eternal God as something worth preventing him from knowing and identifying with those below him intimately. So let me just say this about the position that Jesus was in before his incarnation. Jesus' position as God and existence as God is infinitely, infinitely, you cannot count it. It's infinitely valuable because it is His and His alone. Jesus being who He is defines the value of His position. It is unique because he is unique. Jesus defines his position equal to God because he is the standard for it. No one else, no one in this room will get that position. I know some people, Mormons, believe they can attain that type of position. But this is not for anyone but Jesus. It's completely connected to who he is. It is worthy because he is worthy. And Jesus, in his position and place as eternal God, is the most attractive and glorious thing imaginable. I hope you know that. But then to make Jesus, to to infinitely add to his infinite worthiness... (laughs) Jesus looks at it, that position. He looks at it and then he looks at you 
And he says that, even though that is the best, because I define it, that cannot keep me from you. Do you realize that, beloved? The love of Christ. Though he was not in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to exercise or grasp. It says, continue on in the verse, he emptied himself. This word emptied has been the object of arguments and dissertations and worship for centuries. They call it the kenosis of Christ, Christ's divine emptying. This is where we begin. We, I mean, we did see it, but we're starting to see the even deeper depths of the price of Christ's birth. Jesus is emptying himself isn't actually about leaving or getting rid of something, per se, or about something leaving him, a quality that he has, or a, a power or authority he has. It's not about that. It's actually about him taking something. By taking the form of a servant. We see right here in form, when it says form of a servant, it's the same exact word in the Greek when it says, though he was in the form of God. Highest position and then form of a servant. Lowest position. The depth of the cost should weigh heavy on us. And being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus, when he left heaven to be born in human flesh, he did not give up his authority as God. He did not give up his nature as God. What he left was his position of authority as God. How do we know this? Because if Jesus left his authority and his divinity in heaven, he would not be able to say to a cripple, be healed. Or a sinner, you're forgiven. He would have no authority and he would definitely not have the audacity to give his disciples that same authority. Amazing. One commentator says, Christ did not literally empty himself of any divine attribute. Instead, he metaphorically emptied himself by revealing the form of God in the form of a slave and in human likeness. And the slave in that society was deprived of even the most basic human rights. In the same way, Christ refused to exploit the privilege of his deity and giving up that right became a slave. Listen to Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom of many. 
2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's amazing. The price of Christ's birth is our pathway, according to Paul, to becoming rich. The price of Christ's birth. Now let's look at the potential of Christ's birth. The potential. The birth of Christ is important because of what type of potential it presents to us. What, just to summarize, it's human relationship. Look at verse 7. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. That word form is different than the other words, but it's supposed to mean when you look at Jesus, not only do you see God, but you see a man, a baby in a manger. And the entire, if you start from the book of Genesis all, and go all the way to Revelation, the entire, there's many themes, there's a redemptive theme, but the entire story of the Bible is God condescending so that we might know him. That's why God would speak to the prophets in languages they would understand. That, I mean, that's amazing. Jesus being born in the likeness of human flesh is the ultimate expression of God's condescension to us so that we might know him. Before, as God, we could not say, oh, identify with your eternal nature. We have that in common. No, we couldn't say that. Or, God, I identify with you that uh, you have all power and I have a lot of power. We couldn't, we couldn't really do that. We didn't know what it was like to be God. So we were at a disadvantage, even though he's been doing everything he can to condescend so that we might know him intimately. Let me put it this way. I love my dog Judah. I love my dog, but I cannot relate with him relationally. I might like to pet him. He might like to cuddle in my lap like he did last night. But he doesn't understand what it is to long to be a father. He doesn't understand the heartache of wanting people to come to Jesus. And I don't understand his strange obsession with squirrels. I don't get it. I don't get it. And the sad reality is that I get angry at Judah when he acts like a dog. And he gets annoyed at me when I act like a human. Why can't you just act like a good dog and want to play all the time? And then... To make it even sadder, most of the time I'm demanding him to act like a human. Sit. <laughs> Sit. <laughs> I mean, I have trouble with middle schoolers with that too. Um, but what I'm trying to say, I just want to highlight this. When every other religion, every other religion demands that humans ascend the hill and identify with God or a God... On that God's own terms. Every other religion is like that. 
And that is completely impossible, beloved. You can't do it. I can't do it. Pastor Scott can't do it. But Jesus is God meeting us on our turf. Do you see the infinite humility Jesus expressed? And the potential because Jesus was born of a woman. You can have conversations. When Jesus was walking this earth, people could have conversations with him. Because of his humanity, they could identify with him. And Jesus could say, you know, Mary, Martha, I feel your pain at the loss of a brother. Commentator says, Christ Jesus became human in the exact sense, in every sense that makes one truly human. I would add to that, and this blew my mind when I was in seminary, sin is abnormal to the human experience. Did you know that? Sin is not normal. It was never part of God's design for us when he created us. We define human nature as being normal, as fallen, but it is abnormal. So in reality, Jesus, because as God could not be corrupted by sin when he took on human form, he could not be polluted by sin. He could not be corrupted by sin. Thus, Jesus is the only person, human, only human, to know what it's truly like to be human since Adam and Eve. Jesus knows better than you do what it means to be human because sin is not polluting his perception. So Jesus, as human, felt despair as a human was meant to. He felt joy, he felt grief, felt hunger, felt thirst felt everything that we feel in its most ultimate and purest form without being polluted by sin. We mourn and ache over sin and death in but a shadow, but don't feel what it truly feels like to mourn the ravages of sin as a pure human. But Jesus does. Hebrews 2.14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death. That is the devil. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The potential of Christ's birth. Now let's look at the purpose of Christ's birth. The birth of Christ is important because of the trajectory it put Christ on. Atonement, resurrection, and glory. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the most perfect human... The most pure human died in our place. 
Jesus came perfectly, humbly, loving and kind and suffered a criminal's death in the most shameful and torturous way imaginable of his time. The only one who didn't deserve it. John MacArthur says, after the humbling of incarnation, Jesus further humbled himself in that he did not demand normal human rights, but subjected himself to persecution and suffering at the hands of unbelievers. Jesus was born to die for sins. That's, I believe, what John was saying this morning. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's keep going in Philippians. Therefore, because of Jesus' humble, other-centered, God-glorifying sacrifice, God has highly exalted him. So a lifting from the grave and to the heavens, exalted at the right hand. And he has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, most likely the title Lord, as we're about to read. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the reality for every single person on this planet right now. We currently, whether you're Calvinist or Arminian, I'm going to say that, we have a choice to bend the knee and confess Jesus as Lord right now. Every person has the choice. The gospel is going out and people respond. We have the opportunity to say no now. But beloved, as you've heard in this church, there's a day coming. There is a day when there will be no choice. There is a day when the heavens will open and Jesus will return. And there is not going to be a single person who's going to have the right nor the power to resist him. My encouragement to all is to bend the knee now. To bend the knee now. Listen to Revelation chapter 1. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and get this, the ruler of the kings on earth. Doesn't feel like it. Doesn't feel like it. Sometimes I don't like what the White House does. I don't like what other kings do. But yet, the ruler of the kings of earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever amen listen to what he says behold he's coming he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him. All tribes of the earth will wail. <laughs> like they're going to cry out in horror. Can you, uh, can you believe that? Like they're going to cry out in horror. Why? Because they know 
Their knees are about to bend. They will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. When you consider what this is saying, and you take it seriously, you are left face to face with the fact that Jesus, though he came humbly, revealed God lovingly, and suffered brutally, he is completely worthy of our adoration, devotion, and obedience. He is worthy. He not only by the essence of who he is deserves it, but by the act of what he did deserves it. Isaiah, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Fully God. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Even Isaiah prophesied about this. Of a child born fully worthy of our worship as an infant. Destined to rule all. If you go a little backwards in Isaiah chapter 7, you know he's a suffering king. This is the purpose of Christ's birth. He came to redeem and die. He came to reign and he's going to return. So, let's summarize what we just went over. Why is Christ's birth so important? Number one, because of its price. Christ's birth cost him the highest position overall. Second, because of its potential. Christ's birth unlocked God being known through human relationship. And third, because of its purpose. Christ's birth had a trajectory of atonement, resurrection, and glory. So let me give you a few things this Christmas I believe you can do to apply this Let the price of Christ's birth humble you. Make Jesus' attitude your attitude. Follow Jesus and serve others who need your service. Not from a heart of superiority, as if you're the hot shot hero everyone needs like Batman. But consider whatever you have or position you are in less than the value of others. That's what Jesus did. We have a wonderful opportunity on Christmas Day for you to put this into practice. Come and serve in the kitchen or deliver a meal for our Christmas Day outreach. Sacrifice your comfortable Christmas tradition to show the love of Christ to others. Second, let the potential of Christ's birth motivate you to think of creative ways to know others. What are ways you can make yourself available and relatable to those who you interact with on a day-to-day basis? Do people think you are approachable or knowable? Remember, you are Christ's ambassador. Jesus became what we are so that we might know him for who he is. How can you imitate Christ so people can relate to him through you? And lastly, let the purpose of Christ's birth have its intended effect on you. 
Jesus didn't come to die for sins so that we might continue in sin, beloved. Jesus came to atone for sin so that we might be free from it. Are you intimately relational to sin more than you are to Jesus? And I say this, and this humbles me. If Jesus died to remove your sin from you, why are you still living with it comfortably in your home, in your bedroom, in your thoughts, on your phone screens? Are you fighting sin because Jesus atoned for it? Or are you living as if he didn't? And the reality is that many of us, including myself, I'm not exempt. Many of us need to make radical changes in our lives, like cutting up the credit cards, getting rid of a device that pulls our hearts away from Jesus, ceasing to act like you're married when you're not, move out or kick her out. (laughs) Put down the booze. Resign from that job that demands your integrity. And to be honest, many of us, I think, (laughs) need to get plugged in to celebrate recovery and start walking more closely with Jesus. And I'll end with this, and I want to invite you to know Christ because he's atoned for your sin, but part of bending the knee to Jesus means putting to death what led to Jesus being put to death. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for the birth of Christ. We thank you, God, that Jesus, though he was equal with you, Father, he did not consider that equality something to be grasped, but he took on the form of a slave. Lord, we now know him through him coming as human, human form and being born in the likeness of flesh. God, we thank you for this. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room right now that needs to surrender to Christ, the coming King, fully God, fully man, if there's anyone in this room that needs to surrender to Christ based on his worth and what he's done, Lord, let that happen right now. God, if there's anything that you need to purge from us, including myself, God, purge it, change us, Lead us in your righteousness, we pray. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for what we celebrate. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Stand and worship the King.